Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, here with Herman Bryant, 3B Collectibles. We were on Hobby Hotline together, and I'm trying to make a habit of interviewing and getting to know a little bit better these hobbyists, uh, content creators who are on Hobby Hotline. I'm sharing the, the microphone with. So Herman, not as outspoken as some of the others on Hobby Hotline, but we had a good time getting acquainted, and this is kind of his origin story. Everybody's unique, but he's had his own run. I think he understands his lane, which was a good thing. I used to be a Pirate fan, and he's a Braves fan. I'm maybe no longer a Pirate fan and to the same sense, but I love the Mavs and the Cowboys. Th- thanks, Herman, for sharing your story, and thank you, sponsors, Tops, Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Compsy.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So Herman Bryant, 3B Collectibles, here's his story and his involvement in the hobby over uh, several decades. So thanks, Herman, and best to you and Ken with your personal rips and hobby chat, your own content creating, and I'll see you on Hobby Hotline one of these Saturdays. So you had an eBay store 20 years ago. Were you a collector before then? Were you selling cards other places? I started collecting back in, which I was a late bloomer. I was about 12 when I started. It was back in 84. My first card was Adele Murphy. It was 84 tops that my mom picked up for me. She picked it up for me at a flea market. I just, I spotted it and I knew Adele Murphy because watching baseball with my father, knowing who Adele Murphy was and Bob Horner back then, my two favorite players. I picked it up and I held that card forever and still have it to the day. I actually got started collecting a couple of years later when some friends at school had some cards and I was like, Hey, I've got the Stale Murphy 84, but they have like boxes of cards. And then it just piqued my interest. And I picked up a few here and there from them and started trading. And of course, like a bunch of other people, 87 was my first pack that I actually opened. Okay. And it took off from there. We collected from then up until about 96. Uh, all through high school, I didn't really take a break for anything through high school. I was actually already married before I started slowing down. I went to work at a local card shop. It was actually inside of a pawn shop in my hometown, helping the guy sort cards and uh, binder up cards and whatnot. And he wanted to get out of it. I asked him, what would it take to just take it over? He gave me a price and I went home. And of course, I was still in high school at the time, but Talked to my parents, and of course, they're like, oh, You're crazy. <laughs> we're not, we're not, <laughs> you're not spending this kind of money on this. And kept talking to them. That was actually my first bank loan, was to my dad to sign the note with me to purchase this shop from this guy. And he allowed me to stay inside the pawn shop and sublease a corner. Yeah. I, I just subleased the area and he took it over. Yeah. And did that for about two years. Do you listen to Mike Summer, the Wax Pack Hero guy, has a podcast? I do. He bought out the dealer, the store within a store, similar kind of deal up in Illinois. But I suppose being in a pawn shop is good. You got traffic, people coming in there. So was your store pretty successful or was it in the time when the hobby started slowing down? No, it was actually, uh, it was late 89, right after Upper Deck had hit. It was still good then. Yeah, Yeah, it was real good. The only reason I got out of it was because he got to the point where he needed a space and just kind of quit leasing it to me. So I had to move out. And then of course I get stuck with all this inventory that I can't sell out of my home. eBay was a thing then, I think. And it just really hadn't taken off. I spent a lot of time working flea markets and festivals and stuff like that, just trying to sell down what I had. What'd your wife think? Cause you were already married. You're saying. Yeah. I got married in 92. 
And like I said, I was still selling through the overstock that I had from the store. She was fine with it. I guess she went into it knowing it's something I did. But it's a weekend activity if you're doing the flea markets and things like that. But she'd always would come with me. There's even been times to where if I had to work on the weekends, you know, she'd load a car up and take it for me. Goes into the wife's Hall of Fame, <laughs> the collector's <laughs> wives, dealer's wives. I just had to make sure that, uh, and it goes back to having stuff priced. And I had made a list of everything and what I wanted or the price on it. And at least I would take And She'd done pretty good with it. So then do you take another break after that? Or uh, pretty much- I actually, I, I faded out around 96 with the lockout, the strike or whatever. Yeah. I faded out then. I never really got out of it. It's where I got rid of all my stuff. It always stayed with me and the buy a pack here and there. I'd pull a box out every once in a while and look through it. Just raising three kids, it priorities come first. Absolutely. But okay, so are you collecting sets? Or are you player collector? What are you focusing on throughout? Have you had a theme? Did some sets. Back then, I did a lot of player collecting, like everybody else, the Freight Thomas's, the King Griffey Juniors, and whatnot. Right before the strike happened, I leaned more toward going back and picking up some of the older rookie cards, like the Tony Gwynn's, the Wade Boggs, Cal Ripken such as that, and basically just wanted the rookie card and a second-year card. Smart. <laughs> Smart. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think like I really got big into sets until after my kids were born. Then I started. I always wanted the 72 set, which was my birth year set. You hear stories of people saying, my parents bought this for me when I was born, and they put it up and then gave it to me later on. And I just kind of wanted to do that for my kids. So that's how it started. Later on, about 2009, I actually started the 72 set. Yeah. And just finished it about a month ago. <laughs> Rich was telling me about that. That's cool. That's a tough set to piece together a card at a time. It started with a lot and then yeah. add a few here, add a few there, one or two here. And I picked them up everywhere from eBay to sport lots to shows, to in-person trades, didn't anything such as that. But Are you particular about condition? Do the cars need to be near mint or what is your stance on that when you're putting this set together for yourself? With the 72 set, I started out that way. But once I got into more toward the semi-highs and the scarcity and just trying to find them, I leaned more toward just get it and feel the set. And if I'm not happy with it later on, I can look for a, a better copy. But you're not stockpiling cards that much, are you? You're collecting and selling off what you don't want, stuff like that. Like yeah. When was, back when I was young like that, I would, I'd buy an extra Clemente because I liked him so much. If I had one, I'd think, well, two's better than one. And I'd use it for trade sometimes if something really good came up. But So I guess I always had a little bit of a dealer mentality along with my collector mentality back when I was in my 20s. Yeah, the only thing that I really, is, as you say, stockpile is I'll pick up any Freemans and yeah. any Dale Murphys that I see. Okay. Okay. Regardless of what I already have, it, I have, I think, 35 of his rookie cards. It's not like I'm... Now you're talking. You're talking, okay. You now, talking about Murphy? Dale Murphy? Cause no, the, the Freeman rookie cards, yeah. So many rookie cards. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I wish I had 35 of the Dale Murphy rookie cards. That's a good card. So how do you get to be friends with Ken? Through Twitter. So what kind of stuff do you all do together? The podcast or the YouTube channel? Yeah, the YouTube channel, Rips and Hobby Chat. That actually started out with Brad Bethune. That's right, yeah. Man, Brad had a weekly appointment of Monday nights. We would jump on StreamYard. Not just, we could use it like a Zoom call. We didn't record. We didn't go on YouTube. We just caught back and forth. And uh, then he got to push me to, you ought to go live. We ought to go live. Like, oh, I don't want to do that. We're just talking. It's just me and you. He's like, that's fine. We can do it that way. And 
one day I hit live, and then here we are almost two years later. Yeah. And so then Brad stepped out and Ken stepped in? Yeah. Brad had another opportunity to come up, and he took it, which you can't blame somebody for trying to step up and do something yeah. bigger and better. It was just a weekly conversation between two people, not trying to promote nothing or sell anything, just talking about our hobby and what we collected and what we picked up at. But yeah, he found another opportunity and he took it. And Ken sent me a message on Twitter. Hey, man, if you ever need anybody, I'd be willing to jump in when I can. And that ended up being a weekly thing. Brad has his personality and Ken has his personality. They're pretty different. But, oh, yeah, they're completely uh, different. But uh, Ken is very opinionated. Are you his straight man or same thing with Brad? Because anytime there's two guys and one microphone, you got to figure out, you know, what one guy's the play-by-play and the other's the color commentator something. So how have you enjoyed, because I'm doing an interview now with you, but a lot of my podcasts are just me talking. It's simpler, but it's not as good if you're just talking to yourself. What do you enjoy about working with those? Brad, he's a comedian. Yes. Comic. He's got to cut up and be the class clown. As it, Agitate. As it yep, yep. Agitate. There you go. Yeah. That was fun in its own way. And we just played <laughs> off each other because I can be the same way at times okay. once I open up with somebody. And like you said, Ken's more serious and he can be opinionated, which is fine. That's in everybody's hey, wait, opinion. Wait, wait. What do you mean he can be opinionated? Well, I don't okay. think he cannot be opinionated. <laughs> I've never seen him not be opinionated. I can dial it back at times. Okay. Well, I've seen him dial it back too. But yeah, and I'm the type of person that I can kind of just roll with the punches as it were. And if I feel like he's getting a little too opinionated, as you say, you can play off that and just kind of make light of the situation and try to go in a different direction. Yeah. And I'm never, I'm not really the type to try to just antagonize and try to keep something going. Sounds like you're a great partner for both those guys. (laughs) That would be fun. So when you go to shows, what do you do or you look for? Now that I finished the 72 set, I've also got a few binders I'm working on with the Braves team sets. And I'm usually digging through commons, looking for those and some of the older ones. Because I went back as far as 66 is where I started. Up until recently, anytime I went, I was looking for supplies, pages or Something like that. But yeah, that and just looking for any Freemans that I hadn't seen or Murphy's. Do it by memory or do you have a list? No, I use Trading Card Database checklist and just go off that. And I try to get back as low a number as I can. The majority of them usually stop at about 20 before it really gets out of my range. Yeah. You didn't go to the National, did you? There was a big booth there that was by team, just huge big stacks of just monster boxes by team. I was looking at a dollar box on it, a table, and a guy said, I'm looking for something. And they weren't all Braves. But let's just say, for example, they're all Braves. I said, hey, you go over that way about 50 yards. There's a guy that's got all of this you know, dollar box stuff, good cards, and all the Braves are together. And oh, so man. there was a level of organization that was really appreciated by that guy. Me, I don't care if it's not organized because I just like looking at lots of different cards. Yeah. But for yeah, you, it would be sweet for that would have been an ideal thing for you. There was some good stuff in there. I mean, I looked at it a little bit, but yeah, but that's pretty much the only thing that I really look for is all Braves cards. I don't really do much of anything outside of Braves. Usually, if I open a box or a pack or something and I get another team's big rookie, I'll throw it on eBay and just try to sell it and pick up another Freeman. Or so or, you don't sell it to those, not anymore. No. Not anymore. Yeah, I, I, did, I did when I first got out of the store yeah, uh, and had the stock. Actually, uh, I just live a mile from Royston in the home of Ty Cobb. Yeah. They were in the process of trying to build the museum that's here now. One of the things they did the <laughs> was a car show, and they called it the Ty Cobb Memorial right. Show. 
and they would actually print cards. They printed a hundred cards. As well as I can remember, that was the first numbered card I'd ever remember seeing. Like I said, this was in like 93, 94, yeah. and they would give them out to every dealer that had a table. They sold any of the others they had, and they kept the number one and would auction it off. Cool. But yeah, I, I, that was about my stint with shows. I did that for about three years. The man- 